Hello again, friends, and welcome on in to episode 90 of the SCO Show. That's right. We're closing in on the century mark here. And for those of you in Vegas that had the over-under on episodes for this show of like 30 or something, it's another tough day for you because we've hit another nice round number. We've hit 90. Excited about that. Excited to be back in the big chair for today, Thursday, March 26th, 2020. How's your quarantine or your lockdown or whatever we're calling it, wherever you are, how's it going for you guys out there? For you men and women who are staying at home, trying to flatten the curve and all that good stuff. Are you doing well? Are you doing okay? Remember the DMs on Twitter at Mark Schofield are always open. And believe me, in this time, sometimes it'd be nice to just get a random DM because it'll give me something to do because I've got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old that we're going on two weeks now, and it's starting to wear on everybody. We broke down. We went subscribed to Disney Plus on Wednesday. Simone was watching Frozen 2 and The Descendants 3. Owen has been gaming with some of his third-grade buddies. There's this like Adventure Academy game, so he gets one screen, one laptop to run the game, the other laptop to be in a Google Hangout with them. It's weird. But these are the times we are in. And so in between doing radio hits all over the place, getting those two taken care of, these are strange times. But if you're struggling as well, again, the DMs are open at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Today's show, we're going to talk hope in the form of one Mr. Jared Stidham. In the second half of the show, I'm going to sort of make the case why, look, the Patriots like this guy. And there are reasons why we can have some hope. And hope is tough right now, both with the Patriots and beyond. Before we get into that, our usual reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work inside the pylon, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Touchdown Wire, which is where we're really going to focus today, and those three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, where I'm going to write about Colt McCoy and Daniel Jones in the time of COVID-19. Bleeding Green Nation, where I have the one and only QB Scotia. We dropped episode, I believe, 56 this week. And as an astute, gentle listener pointed out, we made it to actual NFL talk by the 7 minute, 16 second mark. So again, those of you that hit the over on that one, sorry to say. But as we go forward, I'm going to keep telling you as that show rolls on, hit the over though, as the weeks wore on. Because Mike and I are talking about more historical references, more good stuff at the start of those shows. And of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit, I'm going to talk to Jared Stidham later. I got a piece coming out on Jared Stidham. That's right, I'm getting back to the typing, to the writing as I ease into the new schedule here. But as I said, we're going to start with Touchdown Wire because those of you that have followed me, that know me personally, that know me from the Slack channel, again, hit me up for an evite at Mark Schofield on the Twitter machine or mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. You know I hate doing rankings. I hate it. I despise it. Quarterback rankings, pro or college or draft, free agency grades, I like analyzing stuff where I can like show the work and really like dive in. Like if I can break down a play and show you what I'm seeing, I feel like, okay, people will figure it out. People will understand. I'll be able to like prove my case. Rankings, it's tougher. And I always get a little anxious when I drop a rankings piece because I'm like, oh man, I'm going to throw the fireproof suit on. I'm going to get roasted on Twitter. But ain't no use in complaining when you've got a job to do. Spent my evenings down at the drive-in. All right, that's enough Brian Adams. But 
when given the assignment, I'll do the job. And so I was tasked with writing the mid-free agency power rankings piece over at Touchdown Wire, which dropped on Wednesday. And let's run through those quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but I think it gives us a chance to sort of talk about free agency in a way. And we'll start at the bottom. Number 32, the Jacksonville Jaguars, moving down a couple spots. Why? Well, it does seem like they're sort of blowing things up, right? Not a ton of additions, more people sort of leaving town. And so, yeah, not that jazzed about what they've done. Number 31, the Cincinnati Bengals crawling out of the cellar a little bit. Getting A.J. Green back on the franchise tag I think was nice for them. D.J. Reader's a nice acquisition. Trey Waynes could sort of fit in a man coverage scheme, provided they play that. So I was a little excited about what they did. Number 30, the Detroit Lions, who actually slid down a spot from 29 to 30 based on our pre-free agency rankings. Number 29, the Washington Redskins bumping things up a bit. Kendall Fuller coming back. Sean Davis, Kyle Allen, Thomas Davis, Logan Thomas. Maybe they didn't make a ton of moves. But I think, look, they can do some things now, whether they draft Chase Young, whether they trade back. It's not exactly arrow trending way up, but it's getting there. Carolina Panthers moved to 28 from 31. I'm excited about what they did. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a nice acquisition. Robbie Anderson's a nice acquisition. P.J. Walker's an intriguing piece. I think Bridgewater is a perfect fit for what they're going to do offensively, so I like the direction they're headed. The Jets stay at 27. They're throwing stuff. They're throwing some spaghetti at that offensive line. What, if any, sticks? Do they feel like they can go and get Trent Williams? Can they pull that deal? Can they get a wide receiver at 11? Or do they feel like they still have to draft one of the tackles at 11? There are still some questions there. Dolphins? They're at 26, moving up from 28. I like what they're doing. Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, Ted Karras, Adrian Colbert, Landon Roberts, Jordan Howard. They're adding some pieces, and they still have three first-round draft picks. Arrow trending up. Arrow trending down a bit. New York Giants haven't done a ton. And let's be honest. Does anybody sitting here right now think that they're going to take, say, Isaiah Simmons at four. Anybody? Anybody? Or do we think they're going to do the ghetto and thin and draft one of the tackles? They need a tackle. They certainly do. But Isaiah Simmons would be such a great fit for what they need defensively. I can just tell you, from listening to Gettleman at the Combine, it just screams they're going tackle here. We get to 24 now. Denver Broncos move up a spot. I think the arrow's trending up for them. I like the A.J. Bouye acquisition. Graham Glasgow is a nice interior offensive lineman. Jarrell Casey's certainly got a lot left in the tank. Melvin Gordon, you might quibble about the numbers, but it doesn't hurt to get another running back in the system. Him and Philip Lindsay could make a nice little duo in the backfield. So they're trending up, trending down, Los Angeles Rams. And I actually wrote a bit more about this over at Touchstar Wire, but 
The Rams just basically, they, they did what we expect teams to do. They try to load up around the rookie quarterback. They make the trades for an Aqib Tlaib and a Marcus Peters. They bring the Dominican Sue in. They load up. They make the run. They lose the Super Bowl. Now they're reaping the whirlwind, friends. Now they were reaping the whirlwind. Because contracts are coming due. They've got to make cuts. They don't have a ton of draft capital. It's a bad situation for them. At 22, the Atlanta Falcons. Look, they added Todd Gurley. They added Hayden Hurst. They added Dante Fowler. But there are some teams that are moving up and have made better moves than them. They were at 19. They slide back to 22. Las Vegas Raiders, they were at 22. They go to 21. I love the Corey Littleton acquisition. He's the perfect linebacker for today's National Football League. I think Malik Collins is a nice guy on the interior that can push the pocket, get you some pressure. Carl Carl Nassib, like big numbers for him, but you can never have enough pass rush. Nelson Aguilar, I think the scheme fit works. And what's interesting to watch, you got to watch out for this. The numbers on Marcus Mariota's deal make Derek Carr the more convenient cut next year. I think there's actual competition now for Derek Carr in the form of Marcus Mariota. Mayock loved him. He was Mayock's QB1 that year. So just keep that in mind. At 20, the Cleveland Browns moving up from 23. I love what Cleveland did. And I know they won the offseason last year. I think they won it again this year. I think the trade for Hooper makes sense for them. Because, I mean, not the trade, the acquisition of Hooper makes sense because, look, you you get a tight end. I think they're going to run a ton of 12 personnel. Kevin Stefanski did a ton of person 12 personnel stuff with Minnesota last year. So I think that gives him his second tight end. Jack Conklin, obviously your right tackle now. Carl Joseph, great acquisition there. The fullback trade for Andy Janovich makes sense because Stefanski also ran a ton of 21 personnel. And Case Keenum is that mentor veteran that Baker Mayfield needs. I love what the Browns did. But we liked what they did last year. So we'll see. At 19, the Steelers, they slide back a spot from 18. They were in a bad cap situation, so they had to let some guys go. I think the loss of Hargrave is going to hurt them defensively. They couldn't make a ton of acquisitions. You bring in Eric Ebron. You trade from Chris Wormley. You get Derek Watt in. It's not a ton. The Chicago Bears at 18, sliding back from 16 pre-free agency. Two things can be true. Nick Foles is a good fit for what they do schematically, and it was a panic move for them. It was a panic move to give up a fourth rounder, and they're going to have to pay a chunk of his salary, although they sort of reworked that. And they also panicked at the tight end position. Jimmy Graham gets the same deal he had from the Packers two years ago, who just let him go. So I don't understand what the Bears did. They're lucky they didn't slide more than just two spots. At 17, the Texans and Yeah. It just seems like a tire fire there right now. And I was reminded of the f- series finale of Seinfeld. For those of you that watched it, the trial, for those of you that didn't, George, Jerry, Kramer, and Elaine were on trial in Massachusetts for violating the state's Good Samaritan law. It was a nice little gag to sort of point out just how awful they were as people. So self-absorbed. And in the trial, you get to bring back all the characters, the minor characters, and one of them that comes back is George Steinbrenner. He's on the stand, and Frank Costanza, George's father, stands up and tells, how could you give $12 million to Hideki Arabu? 
And I've been thinking about that scene at the thought of Bill O'Brien sometime in the future facing a Texans fan being like, how could you just give away DeAndre Hopkins? I don't understand what they're doing down in Houston. So they fall from, I think, 11 to 17. And another team that falls from 10 to 16, the Vikings. Also up against and against the cap. Couldn't do a ton. They trade Stephon Diggs, but they did give Kirk Cousins a two-year, $66 million extension. So they got that going for him, which is nice. Dallas Cowboys slide a spot from 14 to 15. Haha, <laughs> Clinton Dix, Anthony Brown, Gerald McCoy are additions, but they lose Byron Jones. Travis Frederick retires. And then we get to 14. And friends, buckle up. Because at 14, sliding back from 8, in the mid-free agency power rankings are the New England Patriots. And they added Bird, they added Bo Allen and Adrian Phillips and Brian Hoyer and Dan Vitale, Cody Davis. But let's be honest. They lost a ton. They lost the greatest quarterback of all time. They lost Kyle Vinoy, Landon Roberts, and Jamie Collins at the linebackers bar. Danny Shelton up front. Deron Harmon defensively. Nate Ebner on special teams. Ted Karras, a Swin interior lineman for you. They've lost a lot. Now, can Bill Belichick pull a season out of the hat? I think so. But it's hard to be that hopeful right now. I'm going to try in the second half of the show to be hopeful, but it's tough right now. And as our great friend Miguel Benzon at Pat's Cap on Twitter, whose handle now reads Cap Space Equals, he tweeted out on the 23rd over an eighth. That's 25, almost $26 million of the Patriots' adjusted cap number is, folks, drumroll, dead money. That's not good, friends. Tough seas ahead. At 13, Los Angeles Chargers. Moving up a couple spots from 17. I like what they did. The big, you know, Harris is nice. Linval Joseph is nice. Brian Beluga is nice. Trey Turner is nice. They got to figure out the quarterback spot. Is it Tyrod Taylor or not? Like, that's what faces them. At 12, coming up from 15, the Arizona Cardinals. You get DeAndre Hopkins, Jordan Phillips, Devondre Campbell, Devon Kennard. It's a huge acquisition, that Hopkins thing. That, that's what really sort of puts them up top. Sliding back from 6 to 11, the Seattle Seahawks. They bring in Irvin, Quinton Dunbar, BJ Finney, Greg Olson. But you do have questions about this team. They lose George Fant. If they get Clowney back, they'll feel a little bit better. Moving to 10 from 13, the Philadelphia Eagles. Just really two acquisitions. Javon, Har- Javon Hargrave, Darius Slay. They just added uh, Nickel Roby Coleman as well. Um, but they hadn't added him by the time this piece went up. But they needed a corner. They got it. Hargrave on the inside with Fletcher Costa is going to be massive. They just need that wide receiver piece. They missed out on Rashard Perryman. Missed out on Robbie Anderson. So we'll see where they go at the wide receiver spot. But they're picking at a nice spot of the draft to get one. So they should be able to do it. Moving to 9 from 12, the Indianapolis Colts. And the two big names, Philip Rivers to Forrest Buckner, but Rivers gives them consistency at the quarterback position, something they haven't had in the past couple of seasons. Getting to sort of the top eight now. At eight, Tampa Bay. 
you add the greatest quarterback of all time, you're going to bounce and bounce big. They go from 20 to 8 in these rankings because that's a huge piece for them. At 7, the Bills moving up from 9, they get Stephon Diggs, a massive downfield. Here's something to keep in mind. They added Diggs and A.J. Klein and Tyler McKedovich and Quinton Jefferson and Vernon Butler and Josh Norman. Josh Allen was 23rd out of 24 qualified passers in adjusted completion percentage on deep throws, graded as 20 yards or more downfield. 23 of 24. They add Stephon Diggs, who saw the third most downfield targets last year with 29. And on those 29 targets, six of them went for touchdowns. That was most in the league. Here's what that acquisition does. It gives them a threat downfield. John Brown was okay. Obviously, he had the touchdown against the Patriots late in the season, that Saturday nighter. But Stephon Diggs is an elite downfield receiver because of his route running. And what does that mean with Diggs on one side and maybe Brown and Beasley on the other and Dawson Knox, perhaps, or Tyler Croft up the seams? They might see more too high as a result. What does that do? It lightens the box for Devin Singletary. There's a massive butterfly effect at work here. And so I think that Diggs acquisition is huge for Buffalo. Tennessee moves from 7-6. to six. They add Vic Beasley, but the main thing is they keep the show on the road. With Tannehill, with Derrick Henry, I think that helps. Packers stay at 5. Rick Wagner, Christian Kirksey, Mercedes Lewis are some nice additions. San Francisco 49ers slide back from 3-4. to four. They get that 13th overall selection in that trade with the Colts for DeForest Buckner. They'll probably be able to get a good wide receiver there. The Colts flip places with the Niners. They move from 4-3. to three. Why? Emmanuel Sanders. Massive acquisition for them. He's going to play a huge part in their defense and their offense. Going to be tough to defend both him and Michael Thomas. Uh, to the Ravens, they went by the stop Derrick Henry plan. You add Calais Campbell, Michael Brockers, Jihad Ward. They're loaded up to prevent Derrick Henry from dropping almost 200 on them on the ground. And then finally, look, Kansas City Chiefs, they add Jordan Tamu, but they have Patrick Mahomes. The other 31 teams don't. So that's a look at some mid-free agency power rankings. Up next, hope in the form of Jarrett Stidham. That's ahead on episode 90 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 90 of The Sco Show. And I just sort of said there weren't a lot of reasons to be hopeful about the New England Patriots, but I'm going to try to dissuade you of that and say that there are reasons to be hopeful. And it starts, oddly enough, with Dan Orlovsky, a quarterback who ran out of the back of the end zone but has now reinvented himself as a tremendous analyst on ESPN. If you watch ESPN and get up and you get a chance to see Orlovsky, look, the guy breaks it down and breaks it down well. He's one of the guys out there that understands the quarterback position. He can talk about the quarterback position. And while I might not always agree, he backs up his work. He shows his work. And I respect the hell out of what he does. And he recently talked and did videos on Twitter and some stuff on Twitter about three reasons why the Patriots are comfortable with Jared Stidham. And the three reasons that he highlights are feel for the pocket, his arm, and his understanding of the game. And what he said specifically, with respect to feel for the pocket, he said, number one, and this was the case from coming out of Auburn, really good feel for the pocket, really good feel for when to climb, where to climb, how to move, great understanding of that. That's difficult to coach into a guy, especially a young guy. With respect to the arm, 
because he's got a good live arm. He's really good at attacking in between the numbers. And I believe that's an organizational philosophy for New England. One of the reasons why they have such had one of the reasons why they have had such good offensive success. He's really good at attacking right around these hashes. And that's exactly true. Like, think about it. Think about all the seam routes Tom Brady has thrown over his time in New England. And think about this. And I've talked about this before. I've talked about this when discussing quarterback prospects. But you have to be able to read the middle of the field and attack the hashes. Why? Look at any heat map of where passes are completed in today's NFL. And you will see the further downfield you go, the warmer it stays up the hashes. Everywhere else it starts to get cold. Why? Single high coverage. So much single high coverage in the NFL, you've got to be able to attack the seams. And so the fact that Stidham can do that and that Orlovsky sees that in Stidham, it's huge. It's also huge given, like Orlovsky says, the organizational philosophy, the schematic component to attacking up the seams. It's a massive part of what the Patriots do on offense. And finally, understanding of the game. Orlovsky says he's got a really good understanding of A plus B equals C on their offense. If this guy does this, then this guy has to do that. And that's where I want to start. And I, I know I broke down this play in the preseason when it happened, but I want to come back to it because it highlights what Orlovsky is talking about, the understanding of the game. If you remember, and this is going to be in a piece that is coming over at the pulpit from me. In that game against the Lions, that preseason game, they were running that rope combination, which is a convertible hitch route on the outside and sort of a pivot route from the slot receiver. And if they get that rolled coverage over the outside receiver, that hitch route will convert to a go route, which gives you that go flat, right? Go route on the outside, flat route on the inside. And what is that route concept designed to attack? We're getting nerdy here, kids. That route concept is designed to attack cover two. Why? The outside corner will bail and sink with the vertical route. He won't stay home in the flat. The slot receiver attacks the flat. Defender over the slot receiver. He will either pass that off or if it's, say, cover two man under, he might try to cover that, but the flat is vacated by the corner and now you've got the slot receiver running that out route with outside leverage against an inside leverage defender. And so as a quarterback, your read is quickly from the go to the flat. And if you see that corner bail, you're going to throw the flat route. And on this play in particular, Stidham gets up and he sees pre-snap that corner in press coverage. Now, circle of schematic life. What do teams do? What do defenses do to stop that? They run trap. Where you have that corner, he's looking like he's in man coverage. He starts to backpedal, but he's reading the quarterback through the inside receiver, through that number two receiver, we call it. And if he breaks out quick, you trap that. You just pass the go route. Safety's got to rotate over the top of that. It does create an opportunity to throw that go route. And if a quarterback is smart and sees it, he does it. Example, Daniel Jones against Virginia two years ago. But I digress. 
So in sort of cover two trap or palms or two trap or whatever you want to call it, corner backpedals, reading the quarterback's eyes through that number two receiver. If two cuts off to the outside, to the flat, you trap it. If he doesn't, if he stays vertical, then you stay vertical as well on number one. Now that's two trap, a way to sort of bait the quarterback into throwing that flat route and then jumping it. But quarterbacks started to figure that out and they started to hit that hole shot off the trap. Receiver in the slot goes to the flat, corner traps it, you throw the hole shot. So what did teams start doing? They start doing something called five cougar in the sort of Sabin-Belichick tree, which is where that outside corner, he's not backpedaling and staring at the quarterback. He's giving you a man turn. So he basically turns away from you like he's sprinting and you see his back. And as a quarterback, you see that and you think, oh, yeah, I've got the flat route now. But he's still reading it. He's reading it over his inside shoulder. So while he's sprinting away from you, he's got that inside shoulder turned to the inside of the field trying to watch that number two receiver. And if he breaks the flat, then he peels off the go route and jumps the flat. Again, that's a lot to describe just a simple go-flat combination and the things defenses do it to stop it. But in that game against the Lions, Stidham had a moment where they ran that concept and where the Lions showed him that five Cougar coverage. And you'd expect most rookie quarterbacks to see that, see the man turn, think I got the flat and throw it and get baited into a pick. Stidham, no, he sees it. And he doesn't throw it. He tucks it and scrambles for like two yards. Now, ideally, he throws the go route along the sideline. But that's next, next level stuff. But that read was tremendous. And it gets to Orlovsky and how he broke it down. A plus B equals C. If this guy does this, then this guy has to do that. He had what he thought was the route, pulls it down. Now, it's one play, and these are three trades. Is it enough where we could say, we're in good place, we're in a good place right now, they're going to be able to replace the GOAT? Probably not. But one of the beauties of the National Football League, and I've talked about this before, is how they package and sell hope. Why do you think the draft is such a huge deal every year? It's commercialized hope. It's that belief that your team's going to fix it. You're one player or two players or a good draft away in this league that is built around parity of being relevant again or of making that jump from relevant to contention or making that leap from contention to title. And right now, as Patriots fans, like we got to buy in on the idea of hope. Because we're seeing number 12 walk out that door. Tom Brady ain't walking through that door the other way. He's gone. And so the hope that we have now is that they can, that they have something in Jared Stenham. And the things that they have are the things that Orlovsky has identified and the things that I've seen in him as well. 
the mental approach, the toughness, the arm. And when I think back to Stidham the prospect, and I think back to what he showed while at Auburn, there were things that I saw when he was in college that fit so well with what the Patriots ask from their quarterback. The ability to identify and beat the blitz. Huge in the Patriots offense. They put a lot on the quarterback's mind and shoulders and played against the blitz. Running Patriots concepts. Running tosser. You know, that double slant that they run all the time. Pocket mobility, what Orlovsky was talking about. Execution in the scramble drill. I highlighted a different piece over Pat's pulpit after they drafted him. A third and long against Georgia where he faces a linebacker twist on the inside, but uses his feet to slide to the right, to buy time, to keep his eyes downfield, and making a throw in the corner out to move the sticks. That pocket movement was Brady-esque. Also, the ability to manipulate defenders. And the fact that he played against a high level of competition in the SEC. And so, is it going to win the day? As I sort of framed it in the article for Pat's Pulpit that's going up today, is it going to be enough to carry a jury, to convince a jury of my peers, i.e. Patriots fans, that everything's going to be all right? No. Is there reason for hope? Yeah. And hope is a powerful thing. Folks, that will do it for today. I will be back next Monday with Mock Draft Monday 10.0, I believe. We'll do some trades. We'll figure some stuff out. Send in your mocks. Email mark.scofield at insidethepylon.com via the Slack channel. Or on Twitter, try to use that hashtag, hashtag SCOSHOWMOCK. Makes it so much easier to find them. I'm getting mocks in all the time. It's fantastic. It tells me two things. One, that you guys are doing the work, studying the draft, getting excited about it. And two, that you're digging the mock draft Mondays. Because the more I get, the more I realize that people actually do like it. So that's cool too. Until then, guys, be safe, be well, socially distance yourselves, wash the hands, take care of each other and your loved ones, check in on family members, all that good stuff. And as you wash your hands, sail on to Africa and try to bless those Patriots' reigns. Not in Africa.